Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good. Good morning. Good morning. It's the 12th of December, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Um, and I have some news and update on the Give Hope for Christmas opportunity. So just a reminder, you can join us at MyFaithRadio.com and share the story of a person or a family that you know is in a particular need this Christmas. Um, we are going to be blessing now more than one family with a $500 Visa gift card this Christmas because so many of you have responded and said, hey, you know what? Um, Faith Radio was going to do one. I'm going to sponsor two. And then somebody else came along and said, I'll sponsor one. So now we're going to be blessing four families or individuals this Christmas with a $500 Visa gift card. We need your stories. We need you to nominate individuals or families in our Give Hope for Christmas You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. We know that you are walking alongside um, other people in your life who need prayer, need encouragement, and need some financial help. And so thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world that he so loves. Thank you for living in proximity with people who are in real need. And thank you for um, sharing those concerns with us. We are absolutely going to pray ardently for every single Um, person and family who is nominated. And for some of them, we're going to be able to extend a financial blessing. And so if you're saying to yourself, hey, you know what? I could sponsor one of those. Like I'm in a position to do that. Um, Hey, then you can email me, carmen at myfaithradio.com, and we will help you make that happen. Um, But for everybody else, log on to myfaithradio.com and nominate um, your friend, uh, a family that you are aware of, who you know needs some uh, prayerful encouragement this Christmas, and uh, and is also in a experiencing a particular financial need that we might be able to at least in part address. So it is our Give Hope for Christmas initiative, and we would love for you to participate. And thank you to each and every person who has already nominated someone, and a special thanks to those of you who have stepped forward with a financial um, gift, you know, that's particularly directed toward this effort. It's very, very precious. So thank you so much. A couple of headlines here before Mindy Bells joins us to take us around the world. I got a couple of global headlines um, before we join Mindy for conversation about what's going on in Peru and China, Haiti and Iran. Let's look at uh, something happening in Canada. Um, Many of you are aware that um, Canada has a very liberal and seemingly ever more liberalizing approach to euthanasia. And um, there is now a uh, a Canadian pensioner, so an older person, um, who is seeking euthanasia because he fears homelessness. Um, so poverty or being poor is now regarded by physicians in Canada 
as a, quote, major factor in a decision to end one's own life. I want you to just consider that for just a moment. Les Landry is 65 years old, and he told those who were assessing whether or not he was eligible to die by euthanasia in Canada. Um, He said, "Um, I don't want to die, but he has applied for medical assistance in dying because he cannot afford to live comfortably. And astonishingly, a doctor has uh, now provided one of the two signatures that's required for this individual to end his own life. Um, Despite knowing that his his challenge is financial, not not physical illness, not mental illness, which we've discussed is now also um, a viable cause in Canada for ending one's own life. When when a culture moves away from being a culture of life to being a culture of death, it just doesn't take long for the the reasons um, allowed uh, to be broadened. And so in the United States, where we have a growing number of assisted suicide laws in states across the country, I want you to pay attention to this. Um, I want you to pay attention to this. And as a person who advocates for life. I want us to be advocating not only on the beginning of life issues, but on these end of life issues as well. In uh, in another news item, the United States and Britain are warning against Iran and Russia, uh, deepening their military alliance. Um, and China is a part of this mix as well. Uh, and so we want to be um, very, very aware that um, there are bad actors in the world um, who are not operating out of a Christian worldview by any stretch of the imagination. And those bad actors are now getting together and forming all kinds of alliances and strengthening the ties that bind them together. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of that next. Mindy Bells is going to take us on a globe trot. We're going to talk about what in the world is going on in Peru. We're going to talk about the Chinese president's visit to Saudi Arabia. Um, and an update on Haiti and Iran. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mindy Bells joins us now. You can follow her on her Substack, mindybells.substack.com. Mindy, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. Can you explain to us what in the world is going on in Peru? <laughs> I will give it a try. I mean, I, I think even experts were, were stunned. I mean, you had um, uh, last, last week, five days ago, um, Peru's president addressed the country. It was a surprise move. And he announced that Congress would be dissolved. Congress was about to move on potential impeachment charges. And um, Pedro Castillo uh, was trying to counter them by simply dissolving Congress. And um, it didn't happen. And in fact, the judiciary stepped in, Congress uh, moved, uh, counter-moved as well. And by the end of the day, Pedro Castillo was in jail. 
And, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting situation on, on multiple fronts. One is simply that we often don't pay attention to things in South America until things like this happen. And so we assume that there is this, this constant, uh, we assume that this is kind of the norm that these governments are, um, rising and falling like this, but no one has seen anything like this. Um, and I think, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I, I mean, I think a lot of what we're seeing, some of the stories that you and I've been talking about and that you've headlined this morning, uh, people are watching what's happening in Ukraine. People are seeing the incredible resilience of the Ukrainian government and of its president itself. And they are seeing that it's possible to do what otherwise might seem the impossible. And Peru has been riddled with corruption, riddled with corrupt leaders. And you had, a, a, in a sense, the people's voice in the form of Congress standing up and saying, no, the government is going to act and the government is going to remain solid. Uh, not, They're obviously not through it yet. Um, you have Castillo supporters who have marched and have tried to take continue to take on um the lawmakers but i think that we're going to see you've already got a successor in place and you have um a president who is um essentially behind bars at this point yeah it's really it's extraordinary so thank you for reading us in on that um, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, has been in Saudi Arabia. He's not just meeting um, with the Saudis, but leaders from across the Arab world. What's going on there? Well, I think this is a great and kind of ongoing wake-up call for the United States, and that is just simply looking at, at how China, as, as the United States has um, throttled China in some ways on our trade policy, starting under the Trump administration, but continuing with the Biden administration, as um, as as uh, President Biden has also made it an issue to uh, call out China on security issues on a number of things. China is pivoting. China is trying to move into basically what you could call U.S. space. And um, Saudi Arabia has been one of the longest and strongest U.S. allies um, in the Gulf, in the Middle East. And and yet, you know, there have always been problems with this relationship. And we have often called them out simply because Saudi Arabia does not tolerate religious freedom. It doesn't tolerate a lot of basic human rights. And it's gotten a pass on that because it is a large producer of oil. So you have most recently seen a very troubled relationship with Saudi Arabia and the between Saudi Arabia and the United States. If you remember going back specifically to the time that um, the journalist Khashoggi was um, was killed, and and the Saudis were shown to be directly complicit in that. He was a, a Saudi American. Um, and that's never been really resolved. And that has led to all kinds of fallout in this relationship. And now China uh, is moving into that space. And, and so Xi Jinping has um, actually um, traveled to uh, Dubai, to, to Saudi Arabia, and um, is trying to, is going so far as to make uh, push for energy sales. But even, I mean, I thought it was really extraordinary. He suggested that um, Saudi Arabia should sell oil in yuan-denominated uh, sales rather than 
American dollars. And so so it's a direct challenge to the United States. And I will say that it it comes in a time when I think uh, not only the Biden administration, but the United States generally has been trying to pivot away from the Middle East, focus on China. But we simply can't do that. We, it's, it's going to remain a strategic area, not only in terms of energy and oil, but geographically. And it is the seat of the world's three great religions. And, and for the United States to try to ignore uh, the Middle East is always going to come back and haunt us, I think. We're talking with Mindy Bells. Um, you should follow her on her sub stack where she takes us on a globe trot on a regular basis, mindybells.substack.com. When we come back, she's going to bring us an update on what is happening in Haiti. And then we're going to pivot to just ongoing devastating news out of Iran as executions begin there for those detained during the protests. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Mindy Bells. She takes us on a globe trot in her sub stack. So you can find her at mindybells.substack.com. Uh, Mindy, give us an update on um, on Haiti. Yeah, uh, Haiti has been essentially ruled by gangs and gang violence now for months. And it's, uh, you know, this can only get to this can only become a worse situation as um, as things have continued. What I think is significant at this point, you have fuel shortages there, you have uh, unrest, and you have gangs that essentially moved in and started controlling ports and Port-au-Prince. Now we're told they control, um, you know, sixty percent of the capital, and and are ruling in neighborhoods. I, I hear from people there. I hear from some of the NGOs that work there how they move in. They destroy um, businesses and homes and force people um, to move. And it's it's just it continues to deteriorate terribly. What is significant is that uh, months ago, going back to September and October, the United States and several UN Security Council members proposed an international uh, peacekeeping mission there, which has happened in the past and has worked to some degree. Uh, and it's hard to see what else might work at this point. And um, despite the United States, trying, United States trying to lead that effort, nothing has happened. Canada at one point said it would lead a peacekeeping mission, a UN-led peacekeeping mission. The United States has said it will not. And no one else has stepped up to do it. And no one else will. I mean, you've got Russia and China um, as the other leading uh, partners in this. And and they, as as we've discussed, they have 
their plates full at this point. So what I think we're seeing in tiny, tiny Haiti, um, just, you know, not far off the coast of the United States, is a picture of the of the crumbling of the global order and the unwillingness of even a, a coalition of states who see clearly this, this state of unrest and terrible, terrible humanitarian fallout as a result. Um, moving in with even a modest uh, peacekeeping force is just simply not possible. We simply do not have forces in the world, leadership in the world right now that can put something like that together. And so Haiti is basically on its own. And it's very hard to see as these gangs continue to accrue power, to gather real estate and to gather, you know, the resources from controlling things like the ports, how they're going, how it's going to, to change without, um, without some, some aid or something from the outside flowing in. 11.5 million people. Um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of folks. Um, uh, I got a uh, an email from uh, a Christian ministry that I'm related to there, and they just said, you know, the hospitals are closed, our schools are on hold, um, food is is available but very expensive, and gas is now running fourteen fourteen dollars a gallon if you can find it. Um, and so and I think a that when cholera yeah, outbreak also, mm-hmm. you know, that we we just see these things just sort of follow. So incredible humanitarian suffering, incredible. Um, hardship and 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 really uh, just very little will to do anything to help them right now. It's just it's devastating. I mean, pray, you know, praying um, praying for the people of Haiti um, is is absolutely in order and doing what we can um, where we can uh, as well. You like me, you might have friends who have um, adopted children from Haiti. Um, this is a tender time to be talking with those families. You might also um, be very aware of churches and ministries that have deep relationships in the nation of Haiti. I would encourage you to reach out to them and ask how you can be praying with them and partnering with them in these days. Mindy, tell us what um, the, we've got some developments in Iran. Um, the the news that the morality police might be disband, disband was obviously not real news. Um, but what has uh, what has transpired here just in the last few days in uh in iran in the last few days we have saw we have seen uh the iranian authorities step in and actually begin to execute uh people who have been rounded up in these protests if you remember iran has been engulfed in protests since september after the death of masa amini the young uh, Kurdish Iranian woman who was killed and cu- arrested for not properly wearing her uh, required hijab, the, the head veil, and um, and she died while in custody and clearly died from wounds that she endured while in custody. So the morality police, so-called the Basiji, have been at the center of this from the very beginning. And I go back just to a theme that we kind of started with at the top. I, I, I really do believe that in this um, time where we've talked about sort of the breakdown of Western dominated world order, if you want to call it that in shorthand, and um, and we see countries and people in the streets sort of taking matters into their own hands. And we see this tremendous example in Ukraine of what happens when the people actually stay the course and the people actually claim their own country 
this is what we're seeing play out in Iran. And I think that what's happening in Ukraine has a direct influence on what's happening in Iran, where the, the protests have been durable now for going on four months. They have not stopped no matter what the authorities have done. And um, I don't I don't think these this executions and, and public executions trying to make a statement about what will happen to uh, people who are taken into custody for uh, violating the laws against the protests. Um, this is not there's nothing yet so far that has stopped the incredible protest movement. And it is important to emphasize that it's nationwide. We see a lot of images from Tehran, but it's not only there, it's across all the major cities. Um, and it has been night after night after night, literally since September. Mm. Um, Mindy, as always, thank you so much. Uh, I, I know that it is incredibly difficult to be the person who is often bringing us news that is that is troubling to our spirits, but it's so honest to what's happening around the world, and it's important that we know. And so thank you so much for being, um, you know, the, the conduit of this information to us. We genuinely appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Carmen. Yeah. Merry Christmas. We'll see you in the new year. Mer- Merry Christmas. That's Mindy Bells. Um, you can follow her on Substack. That's where you can get the Globetrot blog, mindybells.substack.com. I'll put all the links in the show notes for today's program. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a moment for Breakpoint with John Stone Street. Have you written your Christmas letter yet? Have you written your Christmas letter yet? Do you sit? Do you do that? Are you still a Christmas letter person? Maybe you just send one via email these days. So Jim and I wrote our Christmas letter over the weekend. Uh, yes, I know it's really late, but um, the reality is we don't do like a twenty, like a annual newsletter Christmas letter. I got one of those recently, it folded up in a Christmas card. So this person sent me a Christmas card. And it's like a 12-page diary, a super small type of like everything, every everything that both of their children said in the last year and, you know, and everything that his wife thought and cooked and, and every, you know, thing that he thinks ought to be shared. And let me just tell you, a 12-page, super small type, single-spaced Christmas letter that's just a, like, chronicle of your family. Okay, that's not a Christmas letter. I don't know what that is, but that's not a Christmas letter. A Christmas letter declares the good news of great joy for all people. It's a Christmas letter, people. Like, let your Christmas letter be a proclamation of the gospel. Let it be, I mean, people are going to open your Christmas card because, right, that's what people do. And so now you've got their attention, at least for a moment, but you've only got it for a moment. And so what's the one thing you ought to be saying in your Christmas letter? Something about Christmas, Something about Jesus, something about the good news of great joy for all people. So uh, I share that with you um, just to say, be gospel people, like, right? The, the Yeah. People can go back through your Instagram if they want to know what you've been doing all year. Um, if you want to tell them what God is doing, then that's a good use of a Christmas letter. All right. It's the time of year when everybody makes a list of one kind or another. You know, top movies, top uh, top 
conversations, top this, top that. Well, we're going to have a conversation about the top stories of the past year from a theological perspective. So give that some thought for just a moment. What, um, as you think back over the course of the last year, what would make your notable list in terms of stories where God was either the central character or there is a discernible God theme. So uh, I, I jotted down a few before I looked at the list of our next guest. I jotted down a few. My list included, and I put this one in quote marks, Christian nationalism here, but persecution around the world. And then in parentheses, China, India, Iran, Africa, etc. I put as my second one, just these notable headlines that keep coming up, a notable rise in gambling, opioid overdoses, suicide, assisted suicide, abortion, uh, a misunderstanding of marriage and its redefinition, identity concerns. And I put all of that as a theological concern because I think it represents how confused we are and how far from the gospel we're living. My third was church, church attendance and deconstruction or people leaving the faith and churches closing. Then I have um, one that sort of covers the abuse headline, um, the, the abuse and cover-up of the uh, Native American children who were in um, church-based schools um, across generations, and then uh, the Southern Baptist issues and the Roman Catholic issues related to this topic as well. Um, I also noted that uh, giving, giving, financial giving to evangelical causes is up in 2022, and I think that is notable as well. Um, and, uh, and then I put, um, we had really good fodder in 2022 from science headlines. Like there were really good opportunities to use science headlines as a basis for theological discourse in 2022. What would make your list? We're going to ask Colin Hansen next from the Gospel Coalition to share his list. He made a real one, the top 10 theological news stories of 2022. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. A mysterious star in the sky. It's bright like one and shines like one. A baby lying in a manger. There he is. After all this time. And a fulfilled promise. You will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. In Fulfillment is a biblical audio drama. Over 40 voice actors and the fulfilled moments of Jesus' life. Search In Fulfillment wherever you listen to podcasts or just go to MyFaithRadio.com. Have a holly jolly Christmas It's the best time of the year Now I don't know Colin Hansen is back. You can find him at thegospelcoalition.org and at the top of the page you can find the top 10 theological news stories of the year, 2022. Colin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. This is always a fun conversation, Carmen. So on the text line, um, folks have noted that they think I've had too much coffee this morning. So just warning you in advance. <laughs> I was a little wound up about a 12-page Christmas letter that I got in a Christmas card recently. And it's just a chronicle of what happened in those people's lives. It's not a Christmas letter at all. It has nothing to do with Christmas. So there you go. That was my Surely rant. not from just, a listener. Surely just not from prior, a listener. No, no. From a publicist. But there you go. Oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what makes your list? And we're going to work our way down from number 10 to number 1 because that's how countdowns work. So, um first of all, how do you how do you do this? How do you sort through this and then take us into your list? 
Well, Carmen, it's pretty subjective at some level. I do have objective analytics in terms of the kinds of stories that people have been reading all year through the Gospel Coalition, how much, uh, how much readership there is on certain things. So I combine that with a subjective sense of things from talking with a lot of people, from my reading. And so you end up with things like number 10, what's next after liberalism. I'm referring there to our basic political order. I'm not talking about a political party, but our entire political system. And I think that the issues around trans activism are significant enough to be forcing people into a reconsideration of, does this political system even work anymore if it can't even recognize male and female? How are we supposed to orient anything in our public life toward truth if we all know that we have to perpetuate this kind of lying? Um, about basic reality. So that's that's one of those subjective ones, but I'm sure that's been a topic that's been pretty commonly discussed on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm interested that number nine on your list has to do with mass shootings. I think when you, yeah. when you think about a theological headline, this may not have popped into yeah. people's minds as a, a theological concern, but it certainly is. Well, it certainly is because we don't really have an explanation for why this is happening. I think we, the, the tendency, Carmen, as you know, is for everybody to just blame someone else. And it seems to only confirm their priors. But doesn't this make a whole lot more sense as a theological story, as a kind of spiritual darkness? Um, the, these situations, they all seem to have some commonalities in the sense that it's a lot of troubled young men. Um, and we shouldn't ignore that. And yet the, the kind of particular darkness, I, I can only explain it spiritually. We try to explain it through debates about gun control, and those are good to have. But ultimately, this appears to be something that is beyond our ability to understand or to stop. And that requires, I think in previous generations, this would have been discussed in spiritual theological terms. And that's what I'm trying to get at with that one. All right, number eight on the list is the um, Southern Baptist Convention's report revealing top-level abuse and a cover-up of it. Um, the the SBC is, uh, you know, representative of a very large number of evangelical Christians across the country. I suspect that because it's so big, that's um, that's why it looms large in this right. list. Yeah, anything the Southern Baptist Convention does because of their sheer size as the largest Protestant denomination, and especially controlling so many large uh, seminaries and other institutions, publishers and missions agencies, it's always going to be a big deal. The I was listening to your list earlier, Carmen, which is great. We should I should have just interviewed you <laughs> for this. But many of these stories, cover they cover different years, and this is a good example of one. This year, what we learned is that the top leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention knew about many, many, many cases and deliberately did not tell anybody about them in an effort to, in large part, seemingly cover themselves and their own liability there. So the real question here is, is this a negative story? Well, of course it is, because anytime we see this kind of horror breaking out in our churches, it's really terrible. At the same time, this really is a story about those Christians who demanded and got accountability from those leaders. That's really what was different this year. We only got that report because Christians demanded it, because they believed that the Bible had commanded them to do so. It was a theological story there with the SBC this year. All right, again, we're talking with Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition. We are talking through 
uh, his list of the top 10 theological news stories of the year. And uh, this one does not surprise me that it made the list, but help us frame it in terms of a theological headline, Queen Elizabeth II Died. Well, we're coming up on the time of year when I think in many ways Queen Elizabeth was the most prominent, and that was with her customary Christmas message that she'd been delivering for so many decades. I mean, she was the monarch since 1952. Uh, Many people are going to get to know her son, Charles, the current king, better, but one of the things we know about him is that while his mother was a devout Christian, he is sees himself more broadly as not a defender of the Christian faith, but a defender of all faiths. And so we're not exactly sure how that's going to play out with him as the head of a national church. You also mentioned, Carmen, in your list, the, the rise of or kind of the discussion of Christian nationalism. Well, you have here the head of a state church, a Christian nationalism in, in a constitutional monarchy in England, And I know that a number of Americans have pointed to that as something that they want to see, a more established religion that is enforced at some level by the state. Um, But others have pushed back theologically to say, but that state church has actually hindered the progress of true religion, a long-standing debate between the United States and the United Kingdom. And we're going to see how that plays out, moving away from Elizabeth's steady Christian leadership to her son's more um, and a broad orientation toward many faiths. Yeah, that is a massive shift, and it's about to be upon us because we anticipate the delivery of that uh, customary Christmas message. It'll be very, very interesting to see what um, uh, what King Charles says. All right, we're going to return to this conversation with Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition in just a moment. What what makes your list of the top theological news stories of the year? Um, it might be that the answer to this is intensely personal. Um, Maybe you came to faith. Maybe you came to saving faith in 2022. If that's true, that tops the list for sure of your top theological stories for the year. Um, We're thinking nationally and internationally with Colin Hansen, and we'll return to that conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition, you can find what we're talking about today at thegospelcoalition.org. It's the it's the lead story, um, and it is the top 10 theological news stories of the year. I'll also link to it in the show notes for today's program. All right, Colin, let's get back to the list. We, are, we have arrived at number six, pastors blamed in the ongoing reckoning for 2020. Yeah, all those the conversations we've been having about politics, about race, about pandemic, about government— they continue, and this appears to be the year where pastors are the ones that are in the in the sights. 
Um, they seem to be the ones that are taking a lot of the blame for simply not making everybody happy. And you're seeing a pretty um, sizable uh, departure of pastors from ministry, which is uh, going to cause all kinds of different theological challenges for the church going ahead. Absolutely, and the and the closure of churches um, on the heels of that as well. I just right. I see a a pretty significant realignment locally um, in terms of church membership, and so well that'll be an interesting story to watch this year as well. Um, two Christian colleges abandon biblical ethics. There's some definitely some shifting uh, taking place in terms of theological commitments in higher ed. Yeah, I mean my my. There, sexual ethics are always a big deal in my end-of-year list because that's the era that we live in. So number five, I'm talking about Calvin University and Eastern University in different ways dropping their commitments to traditional marriage. Um, we'll see how things play out ongoing with the Christian Reformed Church, which owns Calvin University. They went the opposite direction as a denomination of reaffirming biblical ethics while Calvin dropped that requirement for its faculty. So we'll see how that plays out. But I think, I think Carmen, a lot of people are not going to be surprised by the number four item on my list. And it could have been number one, um, but we'll see why it wasn't number one. But that, of course, was the Dobbs decision, uh, ban- allowing abortion bans for the first time in, in 50 years. Um, so far, I don't, know, I don't know, Carmen, if you sense that would people be surprised in a good way or a bad way, if they knew that we've seen about a 6% decrease in abortions nationwide since the decision? So here's the thing. I mean, I don't even know if we know how to account for abortions anymore because there's so many, um, you know, sort of at-home chemical yeah, right. through the mail uh, abortions taking place. And so I I've, I think that our numbers are like almost purely made up at this point. I, I think it's impossible to judge. Yeah. Well, in in that sense, then based on that analysis, we could have actually seen an increase in abortions uh, since the decision uh, because of a lot of people being worried about that and learning about new access that they can get across state lines to different uh, at home um, at home abortions there, which is horrible to think about. But anyway, it's a, it's a big decision, a good decision, a just decision nonetheless. But maybe the reason it wasn't number one for me is because its implications are unfortunately more mixed than we would than we would love yeah absolutely all right the top three headlines are all international um and i think that that's legit i think that when we talk about theological headlines we ought to be talking about uh globally what is happening um because the the circumstance and the situation here for christians in the united states people of faith in the united states of all varieties is far more free and liberal than it is in many other places around the world so take us to the top three iran china and russia and let's talk about the top three iran so uh we know about Iran for a long time. It is a place of revolutions. And this is not the first time that people have responded against the human rights abuses of the current um, Islamic regime. Uh, the one thing that I noted theologically that's different this time around is a much larger evangelical community in Iran. Now, it remains underground. And theologically, there's a lot of debate in those underground churches of what do they do? Do they lay low? Do they get involved in the protests? That's a common thing we've also heard from China in previous years and ongoing now. So it's going to take us till 2023 to find out exactly where this goes. Is this going to be snuffed out like every other revolution? Or is this one that could actually bring, you know, bring things down? Uh, China, similarly, it often appears in my top 10 list. 
there's always something happening there. But uh, just since I was began to compose this list, we've just been seeing for the first time China beginning to relax its its uh, COVID zero policy. And the COVID zero policy had been used to justify all manner of authoritarian crackdowns, including on Christians. And so perhaps with the disappointment of Russia's progress and their invasion, that may have slowed things with Taiwan, that may have helped the church in Taiwan there as well. Um, But maybe the Chinese government with their economy in pretty significant decline, maybe they'll reverse in 2023. But the story of 2022 was definitely the crackdown. And that leads to number one, no surprise here, uh, Russia invades Ukraine in the first major land war in Europe since World War II. And the thing about this story is it's not only probably the story of the year in general, as the first, as I mentioned, first land war since back in 1945 in Europe, but the theological dimensions to this are endless. Um, the fighting between the Russian Orthodox Church, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which have very close ties historically, then also the Moscow Patriarchate um, in in Ukraine, and basically Ukraine banning Russian churches from meeting there, the, the departure of them, the deliberate destruction of churches by Russia's military. We could keep talking and talking and talking about this. Also, the blessing of the invasion by Moscow's Christian nationalist church. Um, oh, my, the, the theological implications here are endless, Carmen. We are uh, looking forward to your coverage at the Gospel Coalition of um, all kinds of theological headlines in the year to come. Um, I will make a few assignments. So I think that uh, one of the big stories is it's already starting to happen, but I think that into the next year, one of the big stories here in the United States is going to be the uh, realignment of United Methodist churches. Um, Hundreds of them already, but I suspect Mm -hmm. thousands more to come. Um, I think that... uh, we may see the absolute collapse of the nation of Haiti and what does that mean for us um, as their near neighbors. Um, And then I think that like war, refugees, um, recession, and then the rise of the use of assisted suicide. I'm going to put all of those on, on the watch list for 2023. And sadly, I mean, none of those are great headlines. Um, I also expect, you know, God to redeem people every single day. Um, And I wish those made the headlines more often, but those are such personal headlines that they often don't, you know, capture. um, They often aren't captured in terms of our national or global uh, interest and concern. I'm taking notes, Carmen. You got good insight. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. I'm here for you. I'm here for you anytime. We appreciate you being here so much, Colin. We appreciate your work at the Gospel Coalition. Um, You guys know you love it and you rely on it, so um, give them a shout-out anytime you have the opportunity on your own social media, thegospelcoalition.org. That's Colin Hansen. We look forward with connecting with you in the new year. Thanks for joining us, Colin. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Okay, I know we only have one minute left, but literally this story, like I learned so much in preparing for our conversations every day. And here's something that I learned this morning. In South Korea, everyone is about to become one or even two years younger. That, that's right. The government is going to trim off at least a year, in some cases two. I, I, okay, so on Thursday, the South Korean parliament passed a law to do away with Korea's 
two traditional methods of counting age. So from June 2023 on, the so-called quote-unquote Korean age system is no longer going to be permitted on official documents. And you say to yourself, what, 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 what? They have their own system of counting age? Yes. So uh, apparently they've been counting age from zero at birth, right? And then um, a year was added on the 1st of January. So this method existed primarily to calculate their legal age um, to do things like, I don't know, drink alcohol and smoke cigarettes. But, you know, that threw everybody off globally because it was a different system than everybody else was using. And so now they're going to join the rest of us in how they count age. Um, so anyway, they, they're all going to be a year younger. Some of them are going to be two years younger. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to, I suddenly want to be Korean. All right, uh, what's going on in the world where you are? Love hearing from you. Thank you so much for including me in your day. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.